0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Let's let's go ahead and do that in this room. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is such a delight and honor to be gathered with you on this beautiful Sunday morning, this hot Sunday morning. You know, just remember last week I had a whole entire fleece on. uh, But this morning we pulled out the shorts and pulled out the T-shirts and I'm grateful. I'm so glad to be in the church. One, uh, One of the verses in Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the church let's contextualize that i was glad when they said unto me let us virtually gather for the church and surely if we've um have breath in our body today it it is a testament that you are still in the land of the living and and if you're still in the land of the living it is a testament that god desires from you praise glory and honor Let, let me say that again if you have breath in your body And That that means that you are still in the land of the living. And if you're in the land of the living, God desires from you praise, glory and honor. I know we've done it already. But those of you who are in this room, can we just give God some praise and some glory and some honor? Those of you who are at home, give God some praise and glory and honor right in your homes. You know, and if you need something to something to conjure you up to praise God, just think back to some things that he's done. You know, the old saints would say, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul. And, and you know, it's something about thinking in retrospect about God's faithfulness and God's consistency. And sometimes you got to reach all the way back to the cross and think about what he did for you back then. And I am certainly grateful. Speaking of the cross, we got some work to do. I want to point you to the cross today. So let's grab our Bibles. Those of you who are in here, grab your devices, whatever you have. Meet me in the book of Acts. I told you last week to take that tassel and drop it right in the book of Acts. Go to Acts 17 is where we're going to hang out. We're back in our built different sermon series uh, where we are talking about trying to contextualize this idea of being built different. You know, that 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 term that you always hear, I'm just built different. Uh, We're trying to contextualize that and, and trying to put some theology behind it and saying, well, what does it mean to be built different as a Christian. How do we go through life? And last week we got to look at how Paul entered into Athens. And when he got to Athens, he looked around the city and he saw all of the idols that were around the city and saw the the false gods and the false divinities and begin to contextualize the gospel even there and preach from an unknown God. And Um, almost like a Netflix special that has multiple episodes. We're just going to pick back up where we left off last week. And so we'll be back in the same passage. And there's some stuff we left out last week. Y'all good in here? All right. I hope y'all are good at home. Um, I know y'all want to get out and get into this beautiful sun. So uh, let's do it. Verse 16. Reading's a little lengthy. Please bear with me. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, please make note of that, also conversed with him. And some says, what does this babbler have to say? And others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed. We broke that word down last week. Please go back and listen to the sermon. For I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, and I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What is therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you that the God who made The world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by any human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that They should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Remember, this next verse is Paul quoting their rappers. Verse 28, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. That's one of those verses that help you to, to, to shout. But that's actually a Athenian philosopher. As even some of your own poets have says, for we are indeed his offspring, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stones or images formed by art of the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day. Please make note of this verse. He has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went on out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. I want to preach basically picking up where we left off last week. We think different cultural changes. uh, Part two. Would you join me in prayer before we dig into the word of God? Uh, Father, we do thank you for meeting us every week. We don't take this moment lightly. We don't take this moment for granted. It it, it really is as as dope as the worship team is and as amazing as the musicians are and as captivating as Gio is and announcements, the climax is hearing from you climax of our service is getting underneath your word of God and letting it bear its full weight on us and so father today as we dig into your word father we need your spirit we need you to dwell with us we need you to be with us and I'm grateful oh God that you are not confined to one space but you are here and you are at somebody's house right now so father I pray oh God as this word goes forth I pray that you would let it accomplish exactly what you said it I, I know it won't return void I know it transforms lives. I know it saves. And so, Father, would you do your God thing? The stuff that we we can't put strategy behind, the stuff that we can't plan, but that stuff that you just dropped from heaven and change our worlds. Father, would you give that today? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cultural change changes part two. I promise you, I'm not just saying this because I'm a I'm a pastor that uh, really does love to preach um, and and preach on a consistent basis here weekly here at this church. Uh, but preaching is important. Let me just be really clear. I, I think there's a there's a lo- a lost love for this moment uh, in in preaching because I think a lot of times you know we we don't realize how. Much we need preaching in terms of our spiritual formation. A lot of times we think about the spiritual disciplines, we think about fasting, and yes, you should do that if you're growing in your faith. We think about prayer, you know, that is absolutely a spiritual discipline, but I think we neglect the hearing of the Word of God actually as a spiritual discipline. If you've trusted in Jesus, you trusted in Jesus because you heard the word, you heard the gospel. And maybe it wasn't in this setting where there was a pulpit and someone yelling at you. But maybe it was a friend sharing the gospel with you. Maybe it was a loved one. Maybe it was a family member. You know, Paul picks up the pen in Romans chapter uh, Romans chapter 10 and he, he asks three important questions about preaching. He says, how then will they... Call on him who they have not believed and how are they to believe in whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching is absolutely important. Preaching has the ability to save the lost and strengthen the found at the same time. Let me me say that again. Preaching has the ability to save the loss, but strengthen the found at the same time. We're back in this book of Acts. And it's interesting, we're in Acts chapter 17, we've just kind of parachuted in, and I don't know if you spent any time at all this week just reading through the book of Acts. In fact, I would, I would encourage you to work through all of, uh, of, of the book of Acts. It's such a narrative, such a great book of, of just stories and how the early church got birth. But if you read back from Genesis, um, uh, from, from Acts chapter 1 all the way up to Acts 17, preaching is a prominent figure with, within the book of Acts. In fact, if you look back at, I think the first sermon we found recorded in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people get added because of preaching. Peter then goes on to preach in Acts chapter 3 on Solomon's portico and people get saved. He then goes on to preach in Acts chapter 10 and people get saved. Look at Philip's sermon in Acts chapter 8. I mean, Acts chapter 8, all of Samaria is getting saved because Philip is preaching the word of God. Even if you look at Paul, Paul had a banging sermon in Acts chapter 13. And here we are back in Acts chapter 17. And what's interesting and unique about the sermon that Paul preaches at the Areopagus is it's a lot different. It is the first time we've got to see him preach to people who believed in a multiple setting of gods. What do I mean by that? And all of the sermons that I just named, those men were preaching to people that that believed in at least one God. They were preaching to the Jews. They believed in God. They just didn't know how to get to him. They didn't know Jesus actually was the connection to get to God, the father. And even if you look at the sermons, they were preaching to God fearing Gentiles like Cornelius. But here we have a unique sermon in Acts chapter 17 at the Areopagus where the the, the philosophers that were there, the pagan philosophers that were in the audience were uh, what, what you call polytheistic. They believed in a multiple of gods. They believed in a range of gods. They believed in gods like Zeus, the god of clouds. <laughs> they, they believed in gods like gods like uh, Demeter, which was the fertility god. They, they believed in another god, the goddess of love and the goddess of wisdom, which was Zeus's daughter. They believed in all of these gods. There was at least 12 major gods that the Greeks, aka the Athenians, believed in and Paul looks around the city when he comes into to Athens, and he sees all of their gods. He sees all of their idols, and he sees all of the strongholds around them. and Paul, in Paul, like fashion, begins to break down all of their gods. Not with a sledgehammer, not in an aggressive way. He just lovingly tells them, "There's one statue there that I want to talk to you about." And then he plugs in Jesus. At the Areopagus and you know, one of the things I love about Paul is Paul was always contextual in his sermons You know, a lot of times I feel like the church has gotten lost with contextualism I feel like we live even in the pandemic, right? I feel like we're we're living in a time where you have to adjust how you do church You have to adjust your methods I'm not saying adjust your message The gospel is unchanging But your message, your, your methods have to change pretty frequently. And so Paul walks in and he begins to talk to this audience. And one of the things we didn't do last week, we talked about the pagan philosophers and how they were great thinkers. But one of the things that we didn't do was get underneath of the audience a little bit more. Can we do that this morning? Look look at the audience that Paul is preaching to. It's not just pagan thinkers, but it's a religious crowd. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 16. It says his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of religious idols. So he reasoned, watch where he reasoned, in the synagogue where the Jews were. That the synagogue is a place where religiosity took place, a place where people believed in their rituals but not believing in christ jump down to verse 22 he says then paul uh standing in the midst of the areopagus said men of athens i perceive that in every way watch this word you are very religious In other words, three times Paul walks into the city, he sees the religious idols, that's religion, he walks into the synagogue and he's talking to the Jews that are dibbling and dabbling in religion and then he goes to the Areopagus and when he goes there, the first thing he says to them is I see that all of y'all are religious. His aim in engaging this culture at Athens was to, to, to dissect a crowd that was religious and in doing so, the fact that He makes a point to contrast religiosity and faith in Christ means that religion is not always synonymous with faith. Let me say that again. Religion is not always synonymous with faith. They say the third time's a charm. Religion is not always synonymous with faith. They're not mutually exclusive. In other words, you can be religious and not be a believer. You, 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 you can follow through your life with religious, you can fill up your life with all types of religious activity and not be a follower of Jesus. You can uh, be religious and not know Christ. You can pray and not know Christ. You can come to church and not know Christ. Let me mess you up. You can serve and give to the church and not know who Jesus is. And just because you logged on to church this morning doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus. I know y'all like, ah, Pastor B, don't, don't make me question my salvation. No, you should examine yourself scripture to see if you are of the faith. That's Bible right there. Just because you got baptized when you were a baby. Does not mean that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because you took communion one Sunday does not mean that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul looks around and he says, y'all are very religious, but you're missing something. Y'all got all of this liturgical stuff going on, but you are missing something. All of these idols around the city and you're missing missing something. You have symbols, but not substance. Do y'all know that there's a difference? between the symbols of religiosity and the substance of religion there, there, there is a major difference and, and let me let me break this down How many of you guys in this room got baptized? I can hardly see you. Okay, baptism is a symbol not the substance It it, it symbolizes the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you're not saved because you were baptized. You got baptized because you were saved. It's a symbol. It's not the same. It's the same thing with communion. Communion. We'll take it. I hope you guys are preparing for that. At the end of this service, we will take communion. But communion is just a symbol. It is pointing us to the cross. It is pointing us to the body of Christ that was sh- that was shredded to pieces. It was pointing us to the blood that saves us and brings us near to God. But it's just a symbol. Maybe it's not the substance. It's like um, it's like my, my wedding ring. I wear my wedding ring every day. You know, when I walk out the house and I have my wedding ring on and people look at my finger, they realize they know that I am married. i have been married for 19 years in a few months, and, and you know that the, the ring itself is not the substance. The ring itself is just a symbol. If I, if I lost my ring, Ty would, Ty would fight me, but I'm still married because it is a symbol But it's not the substance. And here is the problem with church. We've settled for symbols of religiosity and have not gotten into the substance. And so Paul looks around and he says, oh, y'all settling for all these symbols, these symbols that that, that make you feel there are false sense of security. They make you feel like you're doing something. They make you feel like you're closer to God. And so Paul says, y'all got all these divinities, but you're missing something deep on the day of judgment. The idols that are around me will not save you. These man-made idols won't save you. And let me help you out. On the day of judgment, your religiosity will not save you. That list of good deeds. I came to church on this day, this day, this day. That will not save you. What you need is not Symbols you need actual Substance what you need is not religion What you need is relationship And and what the men of Athens The religious people in Athens Were missing and I'm talking The pagan philosophers and the Jews That were in the synagogue what they both Were missing what they were Missing was relationship They had religion Because what religion does is I hope y'all are hearing me religion Says to you you gotta go to God But Relationship says God came to you. But what religion does is religion says you got to earn God's love. But what relationship says is that Jesus has already earned God's love for you via the cross. What, what religion says is you got to clean yourself up before you can come to God. But what relationship says is Christ has already presented you as spotless and holy and blameless and without reproach. God has given us what we need in relationship, not in religion. So don't settle for religion. Don't settle for religion. I hope you all are hear me when you can actually have a relationship don't settle for just coming to church. Don't settle for just logging on and checking off the box and doing your Jesus thing. But Jesus actually wants a relationship with you. And so Paul looks around. And he says, man, you all got a lot of idols and all of these idols. They're really making you feel like you're closer to God. But really, you're still very far away from him. He's going to talk about judgment later on. He's like, man, these gods won't save you. But that, that that one God right there, that unknown statue that you have, that one God, that unknown idol. I want to tell you about him. And like in in Paul like fashion, he begins to dismantle all of their religious idols. And in doing so, I pray that he dismantles all of our religious idols today. Look at what he says in verse 23. Verse 23, he says, for I passed along and I observed all of the objects of your worship. And I found an altar with the inscription, the unknown God. What is therefore you worship is unknown. I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands, though he needed anything. It says, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul, in his distress, when he sees the city has many gods, he dismantles and deconstructs their gods. And he tries to replace it with the one true living God. In a few simple verses, basically what he said was, the God that I serve created everything. Now you gotta remember, they had at least 12 gods that did different things. One that created the class, and he's like, the God that I serve created everything. The God that I serve is the sustainer of life. He even goes on to say, the God that I serve is the ruler of nations and the one true and living God. He is the one that that upholds everything. And what's interesting about him saying that is it's almost like he's saying newsflash. This God that I serve is too big to be held in your little temples. This God that I serve is too big to be crafted and made of gold and silver. Put away your shrines because the God that I serve doesn't need anything from your measly human hands. That's what Paul is saying to them. And what he's doing and saying that is he's deconstructing all of their idols and Here's the reality most of us don't I mean we don't have shrines in our house anymore I don't think like we we, we don't have idols set up anymore that we worship we might have statues and some of them got to come down but that's a whole nother sermon but we, we don't have idols right we don't have these these man-made things that we have created but many of us ha- have unseen idols We've created idols in our heart. And the reality is when you try to make a God, even if it's not with physical hands, but you try to make a a, a God that you can't see in your heart, you're not really making a God. You're making yourself God. You got to understand when you try to make a God that's and that's all they did in Exodus chapter 34. Can y'all go there real quick in Exodus 34? I'm just going to summarize it. In Exodus 34, the Bible says they made a golden calf. Y'all remember that story? And the golden calf that they made, the Bible says that Moses went up to, to, to spend time with the Lord on Mount Sinai. And, and he was there for so long that the people started to mumble and say, where, where is Moses? And we know when Moses come back, he gonna come back with them, with them stones again. And when he come back with them stones, there's a bunch of restrictions. And I don't want to be restricted. I I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want nobody's thumb on me. So therefore, since Moses is gone, let's do this. Take them earrings off, take, 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 take that gold off that y'all got out of Egypt. Let's boil it down and let's make a golden calf. And really what they were doing was they wanted something. When you make a God, you try to make a God because you know that you can control that God. See, see, that, that's really what it is. When we erect idols into our heart, you are not really putting a God in place. You're putting yourself in place because you don't want to submit to anybody. Yeah. You, you don't really want to submit to a God. And that's all it is unseen idols and functional saviors. If that's in your life, there's a possibility that you really struggle with submitting to the one true living God. And when you create these unseen idols, we're making ourselves God. You're saying I want to live life how I want to live it. I'm going to live life outside the boundaries. I want to do whatever it is I want to do. How do you make a God by making our God? See, sometimes when we read places like Acts chapter 17, we can't really contextualize it in our mind because we don't see these idols. But the reality is we have idols in our life all day, every day, many of us. And the one thing that you can do this week, the most spiritual thing you can do, And start to write a list and identify your idols. You want help with that? Go to your bank account. You want to know what you worship? Read all of your bank statements and see where your money is going. Because I can guarantee you, your bank statement is an x-ray of your heart. You show me your bank statement and I will show you your gods. I will show you the things that you have erected and the end of the day, we're really making ourselves God. That's all we're doing. We're we're living life without rules and restrictions and boundaries. But let me help you. The worst God that you can have for you is you. The worst God you can... You're too limited in your vision. Like, you can't even see this afternoon. God is in this afternoon. You you can't see next week. God is in next week. You, You can't see 10 years from now if God doesn't come back. God is... In 10 years from now, your vision is too small to be God. So Paul is like, look, y'all got all of these idols and y'all made them by hand. But let me promise you, your little temples can't hold the massive nature of our God, the God that I serve. He says here he created everything. Now, not only does he create everything, he says he gives life to all mankind. He, He gives breath to all mankind. Everything we see has the same label made by God. He has full jurisdiction over all aspects of our life. Look at verse 30. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands. Now, after he told them about their idols, now he's going to help them to repent. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere, here it is, to repent. Then he goes on to say, here's why. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world. In righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this it says he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. Let me lift back up uh, the first part of verse thirty-one, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. We 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 must remember that he is talking. I, I ran past these these terms: the Stoic philosophers and the Epicurean philosophers. Can we can we break that down just a little bit? Because most of us read that and be like, I don't even know how to pronounce these words. But Stoic, Stoicism is predominantly a philosophy where, uh, uh, I'm just going to read it, the definition of personal ethics, which is informed by a system of logic and views of a natural world. Uh, Epicureanism is a system of philosophy based on the teachings of Epicurus. Founded in 307 BC, it teaches that the greatest good is to seek modest pleasure... And to order uh, and to order to attain a state of tranquility and freedom at the core of both of these philosophies. Watch this is a works based theology at the core of them. At the core of both of these theologies is not God working on your behalf, but you working to get to God. But both of these philosophies are saying your ethics determines your uh, eternal peace where you will spend life is based on your moral character. Your moral ethics and Paul rips it apart and he rips it apart by simply saying there's a day that God will judge the world and on that day it is not your ethics that will save you. On that day, what will save you is not what you believe about stoicism and Epicureanism. On that day, it is what you believe about Jesus. That day, when Jesus comes back, which all of us will stand before Him, can, can we? Yeah, I just want to make sure that you you know that you'll you'll stand before God. I, I know you you live life right now like you won't, but let me put Bible here. Second Corinthians chapter five says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one much, must receive what." He is due. On the day of judgment, God will judge us really by two standards. He will judge you based on your works or he'll judge you based on the works of Christ. Think about that. On the day of judgment, God will judge you by either your works or the works of Christ. Here's what I know about the works of Christ. Christ's work was perfection. The Bible says, "No deceit was found in his mouth." When he stood on that cross, even one of the thieves says, "This man has done nothing wrong. Jesus' work was perfect, but my work, not so much. My, my, my work is filled with transgression. I, I have made mistakes. I have fell into sin, I have been judgmental, I have lied, I have gossiped, and y'all may, y'all leaving me out there. Anybody in this room have made a few mistakes? But The thing about our mistakes is God can't dismiss them. God God, God looks at our sin, one sin. Let's just say you were almost perfect. Let's just say you got a ninety nine point nine on the test. The point that you missed, God has to judge you on it. So when you are judged by your own works, it is an unbearable weight. It is a standard that you cannot live up to. And this is why we put our faith in the person, in the work of Jesus, because I don't have to stand before God and give an account for my work. I stand before God and say, Jesus has already done the work. The the, the pagan philosophers believed in a works based salvation. And Paul is like, your work ain't going to save you. Verse 31, there's a day that God is going to judge and he only judges. He doesn't judge on a curve. He he doesn't look around and be like, oh, man, that one guy over there, he got close. So let me give him everybody's grade. That's not what he does. He looks and says, did you believe in my son? Okay, now I have to judge you based on your works, based on your moral character, based on your ethics. And of course, yeah, our, our moral character. I'm not saying live lawless lives. It's part of sanctification. See, when you trusted in Jesus... See, because sometimes when we talk about grace, people say grace sounds like a license to sin. That's the wrong answer. Grace isn't a license to sin. When you are when you are met with the overwhelming grace of God, you look at that thing and say, how do I live up to God? How do I be more like Jesus Christ? You never look and say this is a license to sin. If that is your thought process, you need to really check yourself to see if you really are a believer. Because believers look at grace and they respond by sanctification and growth. They do not respond by saying, I'm going to just go out and do whatever it is that I want to do. And so he says, look, on the cross, on, on the day of judgment, you have two ways that you're going to be judged, either by your works or the works of Christ. And I choose to trust in the works of Christ because it was on the cross that you see perfect justice and perfect mercy all collide. What do I mean by that? Perfect justice. We 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 see that our sins were paid for. That's justice. But here's mercy. You didn't pay for that. Y'all missed that. On the cross is perfect justice and perfect mercy. Perfect justice, meaning our sins actually were paid for. God didn't look at your sins and sweep them under the rug. No, he dealt with your sins. But here comes mercy. We didn't pay for it. Jesus paid for what you were supposed to pay for. And this is one of those messages. You're like, you know what? I hear that all the time. Pastor B, I got the gospel. Let's move on. But the gospel is not one of those messages that we check off the list and move on. It is one of those messages that we constantly live by. We, we constantly have to be reminded. And so Paul is a master at engaging this culture. I mean, think about how he's done it since last week. Since last week, he studied the culture. He understood the philosophy. He understood their politicians and their poets. And then he picks a place that is an unknown God and begins to dissect their religiosity. And in dissecting their religiosity, he then shows them the cross. And then at the end, he says, look, there's a day you're going to be judged. And on that day, you got two options. Trust in you or trust in Jesus. My question to you today Those of you who are piped on and those of you who are in the room is do you really believe in Jesus or are you going through the motions of religiosity? Religion is easy. It it really is. It's it's exhausting, but it's easy at the same time. Meaning all I got to do is just do a bunch of religious stuff. I just got to show up. What you need, you need me to serve, you need me to get behind the camera, but what, what you need me to do, words like I just gotta serve. But that ain't what saves you, you do that stuff because we're saved, not to be saved. And I just wonder how many people are logged on right now and you feel like you did your God thing because you jumped on to church today. And maybe it wasn't here, maybe you just jumped on here for two seconds ago, and you just came from you know, your <laughs> virtual church. Makes it real easy to church hop these days, which I don't mind. I Listen, when I leave here, I look at three or four other churches and listen to three or four other sermons. I'm, I'm not hating on that. But what I'm saying is that don't save you, man. That that that, that ain't that ain't fulfilling. What's fulfilling is a relationship. And what Jesus wants is he wants to smash all those idols in your life. And then smashing those idols. He wants to deconstruct and reconstruct in the in the in the same place that you worshipped other stuff. Jesus wants jurisdiction. In the the same place that you you ran hard for for other little gods, Jesus wants jurisdiction. Who is it today that I'm talking to? That you have many gods in your life? You have a bunch of idols in your life. Your life is like Athens. If we if Paul walked into your life, would he have seen as many idols as he sees in Athens? I, I wonder that. And as, as I land the plane here, I, I really want you to consider. The stuff that you call relationship. What is that stuff? Well, what is it that you're doing and calling it a relationship with the Lord? Have you really put your faith in him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, oh God, for exposing to us today that we might have idols. We, 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 we might have built some things in our life and not intentional. Like God, God, we don't we don't have shrines hanging in our house. We, we, don't, we don't have the goddess of artemis hanging in our house in 2021 that that's that's not our flow it's that unseen idol it's that seen, and some of it's not unseen some of it is seen some of, we make idols out of good stuff lord many of us have made idols out of that relationship that could be a fruitful relationship that bears fruit for you we've made an idol out of it Some of us have made idols out of our jobs. The place of provision that you have granted us to dwell and to be and to make money, you have made an idol out of it. Made idols out of our career and idols in getting on whatever it is in the next season. Y'all know we live for next seasons. And we've made an idol out of all this stuff. And so, Father, the way Paul walked in and said that stuff won't save you father would you help us today yes, would you give us a hyper focus this morning to look at jesus the, the only one in which is acceptable by you father i think about when you look down and said in him i am well pleased he's the only one that you're pleased with and so father when we give our faith and our trust in him You now accept us and be. you're pleased with us, despite the fact that we've messed up. Despite the fact that we made wrong decisions. Despite the fact we ain't always did the right thing. Despite the fact that we didn't cross every T and dot every I, yet we are acceptable, not just because, not begrudgingly, but you looked at us and said, perfect, because Jesus was perfect. Father, I pray, oh God, today that the idols would come down. I I know this is a little bit. The idols would fall away out of our life. So, Father, I think priority one today is for us to be exposed to what our idols are. So, Father, would you help us this week? Let us do soul search. Help us to look deeply so we can find those areas. And then after we find them, may we do like verse 31. Repent because the day of judgment is coming. In Christ's name we give glory. Amen.